you know, when a loved one calls you out of the blue and says they're now 4,500 miles away for this mysterious great opportunity, you know, I think anyone would worry. A young man from Michigan named Isaac Danian left his folks' home in Grand Rapids in September of 2020. And a few weeks later, with little more than two phone calls to his parents, he disappeared seemingly without a trace. This is Stateside. I'm April Bear. The story of what happened is one part mystery, one part pandemic parable. And much of it has been unspooled due to the work of journalist David Woolman, who wrote about Isaac Danian and one other believer who went missing around the same time. So what did you learn about Isaac Danian? How does his family describe him? Well, from what I can tell, Isaac is someone that I think we all could have easily been friends with. He had a really easygoing nature, an adventuresome spirit, and... He seemed to really get along with his younger siblings who really idolized him. You know, Isaac was also quiet, particularly during the pandemic. He started to do a lot of reading and online reading that kind of made him turn inward a little bit more than most kids who are 2021. But by and large, what I can tell is that he was this wonderfully affable kid. I think it would be hard not to like a kid like Isaac Daniel. Yeah. What did you find out about what was going on in his life before he vanished? Again, he's about 20 years old, so he's out of high school. From his family, what I learned is that Isaac, in his younger years, had some challenges with mental illness, but seemed to have been rebounding. And at the time, he was living with the family in Grand Rapids. And then in part because of pandemic, in part because of the turmoil of the 2020 election, in part because of social unrest, in part because of Christian fundamentalists in his extended family, and also in, in part, I should add, perhaps most of all because of, of what is most likely mental illness, Isaac began consuming a lot of religious texts, reading the Bible, then especially heading online going down various rabbit holes of further extremist information or conspiracy-laced information. So there's absolutely nothing unusual about consuming a lot of stuff online and nothing unusual about consuming unsubstantiated things online. But where his story does depart is in what happened in September of 2020. So his mom, Abigail, was out of town for Labor Day and came back and Isaac was gone. And there was no note, no message from friends. And he called a few days later. What did he say to her at that point? So Isaac called home to his parents in Grand Rapids in early September to say that he was in Hawaii. And that he had stumbled upon a really exciting opportunity. And he was hoping that they could help him even financially. That was pretty much all he said. And of course, you know, they were quite worried because he hadn't spoken to them about this. He left on a moment's notice. There was packaging for a burner phone on the counter in the kitchen when they came home. And they also knew that he historically had sort of a fragile mental state. So there was a second phone call in which he told his folks he was going to be off the grid for a while, maybe as much as a month. Not much information about his location or his plans. 
But his parents came to understand much later that Isaac was one of two people who disappeared after going to Hawaii at about the same time. We should mention there was another guy involved in this story who was a Ph.D. in chemistry from Rochester, New York, married guy, Shukri Abdul Rashid. What were you able to learn about their Internet habits and how they came across a guy on YouTube who was posting videos under the name Mordecai Eleazar? One of the things that is so interesting about this story, I think, is that Shukri and Isaac are so different at first glance. Their upbringing, geography, and ethnic background, and religion, in fact, Shukri was a practicing Muslim. But somehow, in the sort of toxic brew of paranoia and COVID misinformation and mental instability, they both sort of wended their way through the internet to land at the same incredibly obscure website and forums hosted by a sort of two-bit dime store wannabe cult leader. And somehow the language that he was spewing uh, spoke to these two very vulnerable guys That's how they ended up on this voyage together from Hawaii to French Polynesia. So this guy that they were following online, Mordecai Eleazar, his his legal name was, and I just want to alert our listeners, David, you did not make this up. His legal name was Matthew Mello. And we're going to play a little clip of what he sounds like talking in one of these videos. He, He has sort of this persona in his YouTube videos that was both plain spoken and kind of opaque at the same time. Is anyone out there who wants to escape Babylon? There's still a bit of time left. I have a way out. I'd like to extend an offer for those of you men out there who have given up your sins and are equally studious, being devoted to studying ancient scriptures like I am, and also being able-bodied and desirous of preparing physically as well as mentally and spiritually for what's coming. I have a way you can join me. I'm over here in one of these countries, which is far better to be in than than America. And if you're of similar mind and desires, send me a message. Let's talk. What was he promising to people, or I should say men, who would follow in his vision? I mean, the truth is that his air quotes, theology was so incoherent that there's no clean answer to what he was promising anyone. But he deployed just the right sort of language to entice a few vulnerable souls out there in talking about uh, his objections to COVID and ideas of vaccine and, of course, all kinds of end times prophecies and that he and and whoever else wanted to join him on the exodus would find a way to, you know, in my paraphrasing, is to reestablish the kingdom of Christ on some faraway Pacific island where where so far COVID had not reached and we could be beyond the reach of of government and totalitarian government, which is of course the just the, the machinery of Satan in action. It's honestly, it's very hard to listen to this guy without sort of a a giant eye roll. And yet it makes the whole story that much more sad to me, at least, because it's an indicator of just how 
uh, unwell these two young guys were to somehow believe in this guy and throw in with him so completely. We need to take a break. Back in just a minute. Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Support for the stateside podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. So they go to join Matthew Mello in Hawaii and learn that they're going to set off for a place somewhere in the South Seas. Maybe this is a good place, David, to explain sort of how you found out about the story and what you were able to learn about how they traveled. Sure. So I first learned Isaac Danian's name because in April of 2021, his mother, Abigail, had posted a notice, a kind of missing persons notice to a Facebook group for people on the island of Hawaii, which is where I live, asking if anyone had had seen Isaac and if anyone knew any information, please contact Detective Saladino in Grand Rapids. I responded to Abigail, actually not as a journalist, but just as someone who lives in Hawaii and suggested that maybe she also post her flyer, so to speak, on a similar other type Facebook group. It was really just a kind of helping hand thing. And in looking back on my thinking at the time, it was that sadly, missing person stories are a dime a dozen. And this this is just another one. I wasn't seeing it through the lens of a journalist because I didn't know anything about what had happened to this guy. And the family did not at that time either. Then about a month or so later, I saw another post from Abigail that mentioned how she and the family had learned about the arrival of this mysterious sailboat to this French territory called Wallace and Futuna in French Polynesia. And it was a link to a French language article that cutting to the chase a little bit here, it just was sort of eye popping new detail about how far Isaac had gone or had been carried. And so suddenly I was thinking this might be a lot more than just another sad missing person story. Like how on earth did these two young guys from Michigan and upstate New York end up in French Polynesia. From then on, my interactions with Abigail were, you know, journalist and source. You were able to figure out that Matthew Mello's group was traveling on two watercraft and that one of them was piloted by a man named Mike Schmidt. Can you tell us who he is and how you found him? Sure. And in fact, that you know, there's so much from this story, as writers often say, but it's true that 
on the cutting room floor from even this long feature that we just couldn't get in there. And in fact, a lot of my reporting was made possible by the other boat captain, this guy named Jeff McKinley. So Matthew Mello and his mother post this ad on Facebook and Craigslist saying they'll pay $10,000 for someone to sail them from Honolulu to Vanuatu or the Cook Islands in the South Pacific. So this guy McKinley, also kind of an itinerant mariner, he responds to this post because he needs some money to make it to the Philippines to reunite with his 23-year-old bride. He responds to the post and begins discussions with Matthew and his mother about this trip. And then they realize because Matthew has two other friends who are going to come, Isaac and Shukri, they don't have enough space on McKinley's boat. And McKinley had befriended this other captain named Mike Schmidt in Honolulu. And he convinced Schmidt to take the other two guys on his boat. So they would travel on two sailboats, three people on each vessel. And the term McKinley was using was all the time is, you know, they would go as as buddy boat, which, you know, you're not just traveling in tandem, but there's obviously safety and resources benefit to traveling so far as two boats instead of one. That's how this whole thing began. Mike Schmidt telling of it is that he really didn't want to do it at first. He thought these guys were fugitives. He likes to travel alone. Mike Schmidt is also a really shady character in a lot of ways, some of which come through in the story, some of which we weren't able to get in there. Suffice to say, he's not the most responsible sea captain out there, but he's the person who ends up taking Isaac Damien from... Grand Rapids and Shukri Abdul-Rashid from upstate New York, taking them all the way from Hawaii, headed toward the Cook Islands. Then two weeks or so into their journey, they learn that all Cook Island ports are closed because of COVID. And so the two captains on the two different boats have this sort of uh, radio and text messaging argument about where they should go next as their supplies are dwindling. And eventually... Jeff McKinley, Matthew Mello, and Mello's mother Petra end up in Bora Bora. And Mike Schmidt and Isaac and Shukri end up at this tiny, tiny French territory called Wallace and Futuna. I mean, the, the groups getting separated was just one of many, many things that did not go according to plan about this. You know, maybe Matthew Mello thought that he was leading the group to an unpopulated island where they could start society over again. It's hard to really pinpoint the exact place at which this all started going completely sideways. I mean, even before they leave the harbor in Honolulu, it's going sideways, or it sure seemed that way to me. I mean, the in terms of the characters involved in terms of Jeff McKinley's boat was sort of barely seaworthy. Mike has these two young guys who don't know anything about sailing on his boat. His motor fails like within 48 hours of leaving Hawaii. I mean, if not for the tragic ending, it's like a comedy of errors right out of the gate for this, this maritime misadventure really. And so yeah, uh, it was really a head scratcher for me that, that anyone would trust these captains. And conversely, that these captains would want to take this strange party halfway across the ocean for rather small amount of money that, you know, of course, they only even ever saw a fraction of it in the end. So it was hard to know when it was 
going to go sideways. I think it was like straight away. Yeah. There's a video clip of Isaac and Shukri on one of the boats after some, on Mike Schmidt's boat, I assume, after some fishing. What do you guys say? Uh, awesome. Mike's the best captain and fisher. What are you guys having for dinner tonight? At this point, they were fishing for subsistence. It's such a beautiful, happy image. And, you know, the light is pouring down on them and they're showing these big silvery fish they just caught. And it's it's kind of dreadful in the light of what happened. I mean, here's Mike Schmidt out off the coast of one of the islands of American Samoa. And he doesn't know what to do with these two young men. And the weather is not great. And he's not sure he can land the boat. What exactly did Mike Schmidt say about what happened to these two guys? Yeah, one of the lingering mysteries in this story is one of navigation. You know, at some point in my reporting, I was able to get the GPS navigation system data from Mike Schmidt's Garmin brand device. And so we have this pinpoint map of where they went and when they arrived at each of these spots on the globe. And it was pretty amazing to look at that. At one point in their journey, they came to within like half a mile of the shore of the main island at American Samoa. And there's a few things that are interesting about that. One is that when they were in Hawaii for a few weeks, the guys, the guys being Matthew Mello and Isaac and Shukri had been practicing how to swim and paddle in shore for more than a mile out at sea. You know, the inference there is that maybe they were going to try and get to a place and enter illegally because Shukri didn't have a passport, because they didn't want to get tested for COVID, for whatever reason. So they had been practicing this maneuver. Then they, with Schmidt, they get to within half mile of the coastline and then they turn around and they head back out to sea. And in Schmidt's retelling, Shukri and Isaac had asked him to drop them off on shore on some uninhabited corner of, of American Samoa, to which he refused to do, saying it was against the law, I'm not going to do that kind of thing, that's crazy, you're not even going to survive anyway. We're going into the main harbor and doing this by the book. Then as they go into the harbor, Mike, in his retelling, has this change of heart saying that he has no motor now and he's sailing into this difficult to navigate marina and he gets cold feet somehow. I don't know if he wants to, if he's worried about damaging someone else's boat. I don't know if he's worried that American Samoa is actually still part of the United States and he still owes a lot of child support to someone back in California. I don't really know why, but Mike just suddenly decides to turn around and head back out to sea. And it's a very dissatisfying yet kind of tantalizing detail to this whole saga. The other captain, Jeff McKinley, you know, he's brought up the fact that Mike's boat came quite close to a few other small Pacific islands out there. And it has always been a question in the back of Jeff's mind as to whether Schmidt might have dropped them off on some remote island and they're, you know, they're they're trying to do their Tom Hanks thing out there and just survive. I think that's unlikely, but again, it, there's no denying the fact that Mike sailed to these places and sailed strangely close to some of these islands out there. And it 
certainly raises the question of like, why? Why did you do that? Yeah. You know that there are several possibilities for what actually happened to Isaac and Shakri. You know, we may never have an exact retelling of what actually happened, but most of these possibilities don't suggest a lot of chance for Isaac and Shukri definitely surviving and making it onto the island. But they haven't been declared dead yet, have they? No, and this is what is so excruciating for the families, is the not knowing. That's hard on everyone, including the French investigators, you know, who put many months of work into trying to figure out what happened, but without really conclusive evidence. As they said, you know, no body, but no sign of life either then they have to just do this thing with saying to, you know, upon conclusion of our investigation, the most likely explanation is that they jumped off Schmidt's boat in this fast-moving channel on approach to Wallace and were swept out to sea and drowned. And there are, again, just so many question marks about this tale that I think it would be foolish to say, yeah, that's definitely what happened. End of story. Right. But, you know, you almost have to come up with this ordered list of likely to least likely outcomes. And right now it really does look like the most likely outcome is that is that they drown. There are several pieces of information you were able to uncover. You were able to track down Matthew Mello. And that's that's a really interesting tale that could be, I think, its own article in and of itself. But given that the investigation is in this liminal space and that no one's heard from Isaac or Shukri and that Matthew Mello says that he doesn't know what happened to them and he averts that he was not responsible, does the Danian family have much recourse at this point? What have Abigail and the other family members concentrated their efforts on since this information came out? From what I gather from the families, you know, they have been so dissatisfied from the get-go with the response from law enforcement and and government. You know, there's a local detective in Graham Rapids who sort of did what he could, but this is, you know, this is well outside his wheelhouse, so to speak. Uh, From State Department, they really didn't get the kind of support and communication that they deserved. And just a, a whispery kind of thing from FBI that they never will confirm or deny that that investigation is underway. And that's sort of it. I mean, there was a little bit of language from a congressperson's office, you know, after Abigail is just clawing and clawing and clawing for a little bit of attention to her son's case. And so I think she got some rudimentary kind of placating correspondences from a Michigan congressional representative. But beyond that, I think they've been really disappointed. And I actually know, I know they've been disappointed because they keep telling me like, why is it that you, the journalist guy in Hawaii, know more about what has happened than anyone else and have actually been the one to shed more light on it for us than anyone else? You know, that's upside down. It should be people in law enforcement help walking us through this or being in touch with us. And even the authorities from French Polynesia, you know, it took them very long time to connect with the families. And then something like five months for them to finally get Abigail Danian, a CD-ROM copy of the investigation itself. 
I think that just really compounded the pain that they were going through. Well, David Woolman, thank you for talking to us about the story. We really appreciate all the time that you spent figuring out what you could about this. The story is called Set Adrift, and it can be seen on the New York Times website now. My guest has been David Woolman, a journalist living in Hawaii. Thank you so much, David. My pleasure. And that's the Stateside Podcast. I'm April Baer. You can find full Stateside episodes for streaming at michiganradio.org. Today's podcast episode was produced by April Van Buren. Other producers on our show are Mike Blank, Ronia Cabansag, and Mercedes Mejia. Our podcast producer is Rachel Ishikawa. Our executive producer is Laura Weber-Davis. Music from this episode comes from Blue Dot Sessions. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.